Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I thought you know something. I did as instructed. There's something wrong. It's wrong with the instruction. Master bought you here to work. Anymore, I'll earn you a hundred lashes. I know what it's like to be the object of Master's lashes. In his own time, good Lord, I'll manage them all. I will survive. I will not fall into despair. I will keep myself hardy till freedom is opportune. Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. I'm Steve Norman. I'm joined by Owen Hughes. Hello. And James Diamond. Hello. As we take a look into film this week with new release reviews of 12 Years a Slave, All is Lost and um, The Railway Man, I believe. Yeah, I think you nearly said what I keep calling it this week, which is uh, The The Railway. Railway Boys, is it? Wait, wait, children. <laughs> yeah. Oh, right, yes. Yeah, I've got that confused. Very different film. It's very different, yeah. Yeah. Um, yes, uh, so we'll, we'll start off with, with the quiz. As of yet, neither of the losers have watched um, uh, Cutthroat Island, but it has arrived. It, yeah, it arrived in the post today. Um, it's sealed and everything. It says, uh, its tagline on the front says, prepare your weapons. <laughs> it's just tickled me um yeah so looking forward to that is your weapon prepared my, my, my weapon is possibly only at half master how, how will you prepare your weapon i'm going to cock it and then <laughs> shove it somewhere i don't know that that's as far as my kind of nautical uh piracy knowledge really goes um i've watched one of the pirates of the caribbean film i oh, know you, you cock a an old musket, don't you? And then shoot it at someone. I don't know. Owen, how, are you, how will you prepare your weapon? Uh, uh, polish it, I guess. Give it a good yeah. polish. Yes. Yeah. It's a good choice. A, vig- good choice. <laughs> a vigorous polishing. A vigorous polishing. Probably during it as well, just to make sure I'm fully 100% prepared. Yeah. Can't be too careful. You, you don't want to go into this situation with a with an unprepared weapon. Certainly not. And we can't take this line of joke any further. That's as far as it's gone. There is nowhere else to go. We will start with the quiz then. I'm back in charge of this bad boy. Um, I'm not sure what the score is at the moment. <laughs> hey! <laughs> it's nil-nil, I'm sure. I'm well confused now. Oh, dear. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think we're keeping a running tally. I think it just stops as each time. Mm. I assume so. 
Yes. And yeah. uh, we're starting in 1995 with double header of Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers and Clueless. James. Yes, James. Paul Rudd. Ruddy hell, it's Paul Rudd. Oh, yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, Owen Slough. <laughs> didn't, didn't even let me get to Gen Y Cops. 2000, whatever, <laughs> what? the hell that, whatever that is, but that's on the list. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Great film. Love Clueless. Mm. Never seen the uh, the Halloween Michael Myers one, though. Which no. one was it? Resurrection. Oh, which, yeah, which one? Mike, Resurrection. Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers. Ah, uh, from 95. He, right. he played Tommy Doyle. Of course. Classic character. Yeah, absolutely. Uh... Oh, it's Halloween 6, isn't it? So, possibly I've seen that one. I don't think uh, it's the sixth instalment in the Halloween series. There you go. Yeah. Directed by Joe Chappelle. Another luminary. Mm. Visionary, I'd say. <laughs> anyway, on to the news. Uh, we've had the Golden Globes this week, and, and the winners have been announced. Yes. Um, uh, at... Uh, another great. Do you know what the Golden Globes is a, a faintly ridiculous uh, award ceremony chosen by a hundred foreign press people who tend to nominate people, you know, stupid people just so they come to their party. Uh, most famously, over the last few years, um, Johnny Depp's The Tourist receiving some nominations, despite I've not seen it, but by all accounts being an absolute <laughs> car wreck of a film. Um, and this year. U2 uh, won uh, best song for something in Mandela, which just smacked of let's get U2 at an award ceremony, let's be honest. I, um, I can't name a single U2 song other than... No, I can't actually name one. There was the one, <laughs> there, there was the one that was on the ITV Premier League highlights. There's uh, the one day. airplane in the video that could be the same song. And there's the one uh, yeah, same song, yeah. in the video. <laughs> Um, yeah, sweet. So you, you do realise they were probably the biggest rock band in the world for a period of time before those. Joshua Tree was huge, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, I, I, I like, I quite like some some older U2. Um, I, I think uh, their last good album uh, was the last good song they did was Discotech, uh, and before that it was the theme tune. It was Hold Me Through and Me Kiss Me Kill Me, the uh, theme tune to Batman Forever. That's mm. the tune. Um, but anyway, Didn't yeah. They did the theme uh, tune to the Tomb Raider film as well. Was that what Vertigo uh, was? Yes. Or was that... uh, yeah, Vertigo was used in one of them. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Elevation, Second, that was one. Elevation okay. was one. Yeah, again, the um, Sunday Bloody Sunday. You know, yeah. that's 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 a classic. Um, Dude, but anyway, do it. <laughs> Sunday Bloody Sunday. Yeah. That, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but in terms of real awards, uh, it was a, it was a really interesting award show. Firstly, again. Tina Fey and Amy Poehler. Uh, if you haven't seen their opening monologue on YouTube, have, have a look at it. It's about 10 minutes, their opening monologue. Absolutely fantastic. Shows you how to do an award. I, I love them hosting that. My favourite joke uh, when they spoke about George Clooney, it, uh, spoke about gravity and saying uh, that George Clooney would rather float off into space and die than spend a minute with a woman his age, which I think was quite a nice little... That went down quite well. Um, but they, they were brilliant. But the awards, do you know what? It was a quite a nice award ceremony. Load, everyone got a bit of the action, didn't they? Um, mm. Yeah, I watched them, most of it. Um, 
most of the actual ceremony and uh on e on e yeah i'm not a channel i normally watch but um <laughs> i think they that tina fey and amy Poehler did a very good job but i think some of the people who are accepting the awards i've never watched an award ceremony before i didn't realize that they actually like pump the music on top of them if their speech is going on for a little bit that's just yeah, yeah, isn't it it is it, it's proper american scariness yeah no yeah. uh um everyone seemed to emma thompson as well um fabulous i love emma thompson and was clearly the worst for wear uh <laughs> went on stage and just threw her shoes away um jennifer lawrence was as oh, i just i fall in love with her a little bit more every time she appears in public um but back to the actual awards um the big one um best uh motion picture drama which was uh is a big kind of con- gives us a big clue for the oscars 12 years a slave won that after missing out on pretty on every other award for that evening but it it made the big one at the end um beating gravity captain phillips philomena and rush um best motion picture comedy or musical went to american hustle who did very well that night because amy adams won best actress for comedy or musical and jennifer lawrence won best supporting actress which doesn't get split amongst uh genres best actor was a big surprise mm. uh i'm i'm pleased i've not yet seen uh matthew mcconaughey in dallas buyers club the trailer but looks good for it though. it looks like a really, trailer looks looks great. really really good and I've, I've become a really big fan, as we've mentioned a few times on the podcast, of Matthew McConaughey over the last two years. And even though I've not seen that film, I'm just really pleased he's he's received that kind of recognition. And I think a lot of this has been for the work he's done rather than necessarily for this film. Although it's clearly he lost £45 to uh, to play uh, this role, which get that was another great joke from a. Uh, uh, Tina Fey said he lost £45 for most actresses that's just being in a movie uh, <laughs> really quite nicely done um, but it, yeah it's really good but it does make you think hang on now all of a sudden best actor at the Oscars is wide open isn't it because I think we'd all assumed it was going to be almost certainly uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor uh, I've done my homework on how to say his name uh, for 12 minutes that, pardon? Is that what we're sticking with from now on? Yeah. Yeah. Chuet. Hang Chuet on. Now. Yeah. Um, but now that's really opened it up, and it's yeah. Matthew McConaughey's done really, really well there to to get that one. Leonardo DiCaprio won Best Actor, Comedy and Musical for Wolf of Wall Street, which will be our review next week. Thanked his uh, fellow comedians Christian Bale in that one. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's a very strange um, category. Yeah, oh no. Um, best actress uh, in a drama went to Kate Blanchett for Blue Jasmine. It seems like she's pretty much nailed on for the Oscar there. And then Gravity got a bit of love with Alfonso Cuaron getting best director. So it they really did share it about quite a bit, didn't they? Which which is quite nice. <laughs> yeah, it, it seems like. Um, oh, and uh, her won best screenplay, didn't it? Yeah. Which yeah. Getting a lot of positive reviews. I've not seen anyone yeah, slate it yet. No, looking forward to that. That's out on Valentine's Day. Nice kind of interesting yeah. date movie uh, for Valentine's Day. Uh, best foreign language film went to The Great Beauty, which beats Blue is the Warmest Colour, which was a bit of a shock. Um, Frozen won Best Animated Film up against The Croods and Despicable Me. And Best... Even uh, Best Score went to All Is Lost. So All Is Lost picked up one that... Um, 
which we're reviewing later on today as well. So it was a really, really good mix. Uh, Michael Douglas uh, picked up Best Actor in a miniseries or TV movie for Behind the Candelabra as well, which I was really pleased that about. One, that one Best TV miniseries or movie as well, didn't it? Uh, yeah. Yes, it did. Yeah. Um, so Breaking that, yeah, Bad was... picking up the Best TV series, which has been talked about on the podcast a lot as well. Yes. So. Yeah. yeah. Um, Brian Cranston got, got Best Actor as well, didn't he? For, for... Yeah. Got in a, uh, uh, well-deserved, I think. Yes, yeah, definitely. Uh, and it was nice. Amy Poehler picked up Best uh, Actress in a Comedy Series as well, finally, uh, mm. for Parks and Recreation, which was great. Um, and Brooklyn Nine-Nine picked up Best Comedy, and yeah. that's starting on E4 in a week or so's I time, apparently. This, I think it's this Thursday it starts. Oh, is it this Thursday? Yeah. Is it? Okay. Uh, so uh, Samba got Best Best Actor as well yeah, for TV did. Comedy. So, be... so that's come out of nowhere. Mm. Um, I, th- I thought it... Judging that it was, you know, on E4, it'd be another pretty average to poor US comedy. Um, we'll see. Who knows? Yeah, it's been um, it's been helped in development by um, a couple of people from the American office and Parks and Recreation. So I'm hoping for something along those lines, which would be quite nice. Um, so yeah, that so Golden Globes really they've given us a few pointers for the Oscars. Um, Twelve Years a Slave picked up the award that it needed to really to keep that Oscar momentum going. American Hustle could be a contender at the Oscars now that it's picked up a few awards here, um, and it looks like yeah for best film it's probably going to be between those two. As well um, as Wolf of Wall Street probably. As, yeah, although it at an Academy screening. <laughs> Scorsese and DiCaprio got heckled and it does make you think I don't know the Academy doesn't like him at the best of times Scorsese do they and they kind of took years to actually give him an award in the end I'm I'm still not sure that's good it'll it'll get a nomination but I I can't see it getting there Gravity I think is the only other one which might hustle into that uh, that competition Uh, and I think Best Director will be an interesting battle probably between McQueen and Curon yeah, and David O. Russell's there as well. It's it's all very very interesting. Um, so yeah, no, I'm looking forward to the I'm looking forward to the Oscars now because yeah. I think it's the most open Oscars we've had for for a little while. And also, as much as I liked Argo last year, I did really like Argo. Um, I think having something like Gravity or twelve or Twelve Years a Slave, and we'll talk about that later. That makes you think, yeah, this is best. That's best picture time. That's yeah mm. so but yeah more on that later um yeah the only other bits of there's a couple of other bits of news uh the bbfc have decided to change their guidelines next month and i think for the better although i noticed on the daily mail the uh front page today the one thing they picked out on is that kids are going to see more swearing in films um yeah the yeah today their parents will swear all the time and they yeah. swear at school who gives a fuck <laughs> nicely put steve <laughs> and um it, the thing is actually they it what annoyed me was the right wing press have annoyed have completely ignored the fact that a they're actually going to get tighter on language at au and pg level um and it's only at a 15 level where they're going to start consider you know when people are almost young adults anyway uh where they're going to start relaxing the rules on language and the other thing is well uh, they're saying at the 12a level now they are going to pay far more attention to theme and tone uh of the film which should hopefully avoid the likes of taken two 
getting a 12A certificate and essentially being able to be viewed by children if parents so wish. And for me, that's far more dangerous than the odd fuck and cunt. There, said it. Um, being in a 15. That's far more dangerous to children, in my opinion, anyway. It also has the opposite effect as well, where some psychological films, some more psychological thrillers will be bumped up. Like, you know, uh, they were talking about on the radio the other day, um, The Woman in Black, mm. which if you've seen it, there's no gore in it. There's no swearing. It is all about, you know, the the effect it has on the viewer by creating the atmosphere. Well, that could be bumped up and, you know, into a 15 or 18, yeah. you know, which I think is a shame. Um, mm. Part of that... It, you know that experience. I remember being a kid and watching the haunting and finding it scary. And but that's, you know, I I cherish that memory. I like the fact yeah. that, it, you know, so if if it means that people from a young age miss out on being a bit scared, well, that seems a bit overprotective to me. I uh, no, I can understand. I think the do you know what one of the problems came when they changed it from 12 to 12a. Because that 12A does mean that essentially if a parent is stupid and negligent enough, and we know there's plenty of them out there, to take a five-year-old to see that film, then legally they can. And that's mm. that's a bit odd. And you know, um, But I also remember being although, about 12 years old and up the cinema staff trying to turn me away from watching Austin Powers. So I've got a real real big grudge yeah. about these. <laughs> these no, no, no. I, yeah, no, no, I can understand that. And... Um, Although the BBFC still still stand by their decision to give the woman in black a 12A, which I think is good of them. Mm. You know, they, they do stand by. But what I'm hoping is that a film, you know, or, or Die, Hard, Die Hard 5, for example, those films shouldn't be marketed to children full stop, surely, in a cinema. I, um, I should only ever be an 18. And, well, yeah. And, in and fact, Die Hard me, should probably be a 25, just so we can... <laughs> Yeah, just so there's no potential teenagers in Austin. <laughs> yeah. But we're just grumpy old men. Um, so yeah, uh, I, I think it. I think it's good. Uh, and the other good thing about this, and I like this, this is from a consultation of over ten thousand people. I actually um, sent my views in on this consultation as well, um, which also took into account the views of over one thousand thirteen to eighteen year olds as well. And I think that's good as well. The BBFC haven't just been listening to right-wing media, uh, overprotective parents and things like that. They've actually gone out and spoken to the people that these films affect. Uh, and I think that's a really good idea. And then finally, uh, yeah, one other bit of news, just because it seems to be a weekly drip feed of uh, all this, uh, you know, the big, uh, the Marvel films and the Disney films and Star Wars and everything like that. So uh, last night, it was announced that Michael Douglas has been cast in Edgar Wright's Ant-Man, which is, I think, the opening film of Marvel Phase 3. Mm-hmm. Um, he is going to be playing, is it Hank Pym? He's, and he's that, playing Hank Pym, and then Paul Rudd is playing Scott Lang. So the two and boys. they are the two people who have been Ant-Man in the comics, is that correct? Yeah, yeah. They are Ant-Men. Okay. Right, okay. And Giant-Man um, as well. They've both been Giant-Man. Okay. Oh, interesting. Okay, I like this. Um, because I do know a couple of weeks, Edgar Wright posted um kind of a photo of a a, a bit from a comic, which is when Scott Lang steals the Ant Man costume or something like that. Is that right? Sort of. Yeah. Pretty much. Sort of. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So we're getting to yeah. So that's but I, I was chatting. I 
mentioned it on the email earlier to Owen, said, showing you behind the curtain here. We had a little chat earlier. Um, but I do think it's really interesting that Marvel, over the last couple of years, have really been kind of collecting some quite heavyweight actors to appear in their films. Yeah, following on from Ben Kingsley in Iron Man 3, <coughs> uh, they've got James Spader appearing in the next um, Avengers film as Ultron. They've got Benicio del Toro. They've obviously had Anthony Hopkins as well. Um, they're, uh, and Robert Redford in Captain America Winter Soldier as well. Tommy Lee Jones as well. So, yeah, they've got a real. Uh, what I like to see is the fact that for some of the the char- the roles that aren't the title roles, they're putting in some really, really good actors there. And that just helps with the overall quality of these films recently. But there's, some, there's something quite um, charming about how they've got um, lesser known or perhaps actors who aren't quite as huge stars as the, those names we've just mentioned into the, mm. the main characters. Mm. So to then give a role well, you know obviously apart from like samuel l jackson yeah. Nick fury but you know robert downey jr wasn't that big an actor when he well he was quite he was famous. a massive risk he when, was a big when risk they you know. it, wasn't he? yeah and you know chris hemsworth as thor um even yeah. you know he he wasn't that popular in america and to, so to, to then go back and give someone like michael douglas the role of hank pym yeah i mean it's good but it seems quite like a, a safe bankable choice in, in they've got a star in in that mm. role if you see what i mean not it's still quite a risk because it's you know how they're going to use yeah. the character i'm a, i'm assuming the film will still focus more on kind of paul rudd i would imagine uh, michael so. douglas will be a bit like say robert redford in next year's yeah you know, I, mm. I that that's the impression i would get yeah but yeah it what i do like as well it's nice to see these actors taking the jobs as well because marvel aren't famous for being kind of uh generous with their pay packets and things like that so i don't think it's entirely for the money that he must be doing who knows um and the other thing is as well and this is quite for me this does interest me with the new star wars films um michael arndt who wrote uh toy story 3 and who wrote little miss sunshine and was due to write the script for episode 7 of star wars has well he left kind of towards the end of last year but apparently it's come out that his vision wasn't quite shared by J.J. Abrams, who has decided, and this is what's quite interesting, um, he wants to focus on Han, Luke and Leia, kind of to give the fans one last hurrah with those characters and then lead on to their offspring. Because apparently Michael Arndt's um, vision was to start off with their kids. Uh, so, I think that's, that's a kind of a good way of doing it is using this first film to kind of pass the torch as it were. So, Mm. and and then move those three into the background for for the rest of the films, you know, the next two in the trilogy and wherever they go from there. Yeah. Um, But, you know, you I think that'd be the best way to do it because that then allows you to bring in new fans because this, this thing, you know, when, the, the what's it revenge of the sith was 10 probably 10 mm. years ago now so there's going to be a whole load of mm. new people being introduced as star wars as a new big cinema release so you want to keep them kind of interested they're not going to really want to watch old actors are they realistically they're not going to watch Prob- mark hamill and carrie fisher but then you're going to get the star wars fans who are so it's kind of a good way of blending the two things and 
and then passing it on with those moving into the background. Yeah, I'd, uh, yeah, I'd, it's going to be interesting. I, I'd, I'd, I like the fact that they are paying some kind of tribute, to, uh, but more than just a token tribute. Because I think the worst thing would have been doing a Star Wars film and actually just having them in for a, a five-minute kind of Spock in the new Star Trek time. Mm. You know, uh, right, yeah, it, like going, oh, look, here's old man Han Solo. All oh, right, there we go. He sat around and chatted to him for five minutes and then off you go. I, 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 it's, it's another brave move as well to to pin what is a huge... You know, obviously, you've got the fact that everyone's going to turn up and see a Star Wars film, so maybe it's not that brave, but the fact that they are pinning this huge, huge financial... Uh, risk essentially on some old actors and Mark Hamill who's not not been anything for fucking years Mm. Um, and Carrie Fisher who's a bit mental and Harrison Ford who's looking really old at the moment so I'm assuming they'll they'll build a lot around those characters Um, although they have talked about casting new people anyway haven't they mm. so there's lots of things about you know Jesse Plemons from yeah. Friday Night Lights and uh, Breaking Bad, where he's affectionately yeah. known <laughs> as Meth Damon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's um he's been uh, there's quite a lot of Twitter news about him this week I've seen where he's mm. potentially being cast. So there could be just like perhaps a bridge with the old characters into these new ones at the start of the film. I don't think it's it's a sure bet that they're just going to have a whole film with these old actors. Um. And to be honest, it would be pretty suicidal for them, I think. I think, I mean, obviously, you'd imagine that that Leia would be in some kind of big government in charge of the galaxy role. Luke Skywalker's going to be in charge of the Jedi. You can still have Han Solo and Chewie fly around the Millennium Falcon blowing stuff up. Yeah. 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 Possibly. Uh, Steve, get get your ideas in. Basically, basically yeah. they should hire me as the right, the, not the writer, just to look at the script and tell them where they're going wrong. Yeah, uh, you could you could be ever. Okay. <laughs> ambitious. Uh, you got to be ambitious yeah. in life, or else you never get anywhere. That's, that's right. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that's it for a, a, quite, quite, that's all the news I've got anyway. So that's, that's quite quite packed. Yeah, that is the news. Uh, we'll have a break there, and we'll be back with what we've been watching. It's what we've been watching then, and um, James is going to start us off because he's got a new, new plan, new scheme for the new year. Yeah, I'm a man with a plan. I know that um, on our award show, I said that my New Year's resolution was to watch more silent cinema, which is still there. But it was when I was looking at my letterbox review of the year, and I realised that. Only 30 of my 250 films I watched last year were world cinema films. I thought, I've not seen enough. Uh, Definitely didn't see enough that was released last year. So I've decided, um, much like uh, Willy Fogg, uh, because I've never read Jules Verne's Around the World in 80 Days starring Phileas Fogg, uh, but I did watch the cartoon series of the the big lion, Willy Fogg. I'm going to go Around the World in 80 films. So I've started a quick blog on um fail critics about that my first one uh was american hustle because i'm that you know america's a country so that counts there's one nice easy one uh but the second one i did uh was a film from finland so finland is my second country and it's a film called leningrad cowboys go america 
Uh, it's quite an early film in the career of the Finnish author Aki Kurismaki, I believe his name is. Uh, he's He's got a very unique style, actually. I like him a lot. I saw one of his films last year, Le Havre, which was a film set in France. Uh, re- uh, really interesting film. But Leningrad Cowboys Go America, just to give you a brief summary, is a road movie about a fake punk band as they travel through America. It's an odd film. Um, it, it's about a Siberian punk band called the Leningrad Cowboys. Oh, no, not the Leningrad Cowboys, just Leningrad Cowboys. And it turns out that no one in Russia likes to listen to their music apart from this village idiot. And someone tells them to go to America because they buy anything there. So they head off to America with their manager, Vlad, um, who's this... Uh, he's this thin, wiry man with a moustache who, who's got this Svengali influence over them. Always seems to be well-fed. Always, has always got a cold beer in his hand, despite the fact that the band are going horribly hungry and starving. And throughout the film, they kind of rise up against him a little bit. Uh, the band themselves are seven or eight, I can't exactly remember now, uh, members of the band with these pompadour quiffs which are about a foot long that extend out in front of their head. And they also wear winkle pickers of the same length as well, all identically dressed. And they've also got a bass player who's frozen that they carry around with them in a kind of coffin stroke box on top of their car. It, as Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an odd film. Uh, it's a very, very, it's very indie in its sensibilities. But at the same time, it's also got some fantastic humour in there. Uh, at one point, there's a little cameo from the uh, director, Jim Jarmusch. He appears as a Cadillac car salesman and sells them their Cadillac near the beginning. And if you, li- if you like... Um, OK, if you like foreign bands doing funny covers of songs, you get some of that. Uh, and as they travel through America, they adjust their sound to whichever bit of America they're in. So when they first uh, end up in New York, they're very much a kind of garage band. and They're playing that kind of music as they travel down through Mississippi. They get a little bit bluegrass and things like that. And they end up in Mexico where they're a bit of a, uh, a mariachi type band uh, as well. They meet a, a man on the way who's an American cousin of theirs played by the US. No, sorry, the UK punk singer Nicky Tesco. Uh, at the time it's some bits are just very very odd uh some bits are almost it's quite interesting the new vic reeves and bob mortimer program started Mm. tonight on tv i've not watched it some bits of it just look straight out of the smell of reeves and mortimer though which was great for me the stuff about that having the bass player in the frozen in a freezer that they carry around with them sounds very much like yes (laughs) um uh, at one point um when they're down at a wedding in Mexico, Vlad finds a tap just underneath a, a cactus and pours himself a little drink into a Jägermeister glass out of it. You know, weird imagery like that. Um, and what I would say, it, it's, it's very, very unrealistic in terms of how the performances. And when I was watching, I thought, this is the missing link between Stanley Kubrick and Wes Anderson. Actually, because <laughs> you've got Stanley Kubrick's cold unrealistic performance you know it, a lot of it a lot of the performances in his films were very stagey were very cold um 
and also he, he used static cameras quite a lot and you've got that and it reminded me weird bits uh, reminded me of Barry Lyndon um, in the fact that a lot of the scenes seem to be set up and the actors stand there and then kind of like you almost see them go into action while the camera's running on them. You know, you had those weird static cold shots like that. Also with the same Stanley Kubrick kind of, he had a very, very weird dry sense of humour. Bits of Clockwork Orange there as well. But also I can see the influence of this film uh, on Wes Anderson. Again, Wes Anderson's films, they're not naturalistic performances. Uh, They're packed with quirky characters doing things and you know, inexperiences which feel utterly bizarre to you as a as a normal person watching them. And yeah, this this felt like the missing link between the two. And I I love the films of Kubrick and I I love some of the films of Wes Anderson. And so this did actually feel like quite a nice fit for me. So it I've I got it in a box set. I've also got Leningrad Cowboys Meet Moses, which is the seat direct sequel to this where they travel back to Mother Russia. Um, and I've also got a concert film because, believe it or not, the Leningrad Cowboys from this uh, film have ended up with a 20-year recording career and they just kept recording songs. And there's a concert film that they played in front of 70,000 people in Helsinki backed by a Russian choir uh, which had people from Finland and Russia. And it was kind of at the peak of Glasnost and Perestroika and when the the wall was crumbling basically uh well the, the iron curtain was crumbling so that's a concert in front of seventy thousand people and they're they're hugely beloved in finland and russia so i've also this week just been listening to leningrad cowboys as well um which is an odd experience they're they're, they're an odd band but look them up on spotify have a listen to them and if you get a chance watch leningrad cowboys go america it's 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 a European art house version of Spinal Tap, and it's great fun. Where are you going next? Um, next, I think I'm going to try and go to Korea next. Uh, it's a bit of a trip from Finland. I've got I Saw the Devil waiting on my shelf, kind of telling me to watch it. That's and, that's good Korea, not bad Korea. Uh, yeah, good Korea, yeah. I, I've not found anything from Scary Korea uh, yet. Um, and also I'm kind of tempted to try and track down while I'm over in Korea uh, you know metaphorically I'm tempted to try and track down a copy of Countdown which is the the Thai film that I warned everyone else not to watch I've got this strange (laughs) compulsion to watch it now so I'm going to see if I can find a copy of that online somewhere they'll be on YouTube hopefully okay Uh, so we look forward to hearing more about your uh, adventures around the world in eighty. 80 films yes are you aiming to have that completed in in what kind of time span i'm hoping this year i'm hoping to get it done this year that's it's about one and a half films a week so that's not too difficult the the difficulty actually is going to be tracking down 80 different countries because i've got 20 first 20 are quite easy um from either my my own dvd collection the only rule being I can't rewatch films that I've watched before, so they have to be new to me. But, you know, my DVD collection, uh, movie and Netflix, I've got at least 20 lined up very quickly. But after that, I'm going to be struggling. That's when I'm going to have to get some of our listeners to uh, maybe tell me of films which are easily available from Kazakhstan or the uh, 
the Central African Republic or something like that. Have you got Sky? Because there's like a channel called Nigeria Movies or something like that. I, I've not got Sky, but I, I'll go around to a friend's house and I'll, I'll watch a Nollywood film. I'll, I'll report back on a Nollywood film for us. Yeah, so there's F21 for you anyway. Uh, anyway, I watched Pacific Rim for the first time this week. Wow. Yes, I don't think anyone really needs any kind of introduction to what that is, but if you do, it's... Uh, Idris Elba is kind of the only real big name in it, I'd say. It's not really, it's not really a star-studded cast, is it? No. Um, but that doesn't matter. No, no, it's no, just, it's, it's, it's not. Um, yes, yeah, so aliens of some kind, um, big aliens, find a way into uh, through the bottom of the sea in, in a gap in the dimensions, and they come up and try and destroy the Earth. So to stop them, we build some big ass robots and we put people in to fight them, and that's pretty much all you need to know, really. Yeah. <laughs> the, the plot is is okay. It's not exactly you know foolproof, but that's not what matters. What matters is big robots fighting big monsters, and it's brilliant. It's it's just unashamedly brilliant action. Um, kind of in the, in the same way like Independence Day and hopefully what Godzilla will be like as well. That is that kind of film, just all bravado and people shouting and punching and things blowing up and big fights between creatures and robots. It's it's just the archetypal perfect monster action film. Yeah, I, I'm I'm still not convinced by it. I'm still <laughs> not convinced by it as a film. And in fact, I can just imagine now me. Uh, well, I can remember uh, uh, the awards uh, on our awards one. Uh, me and Matt nearly came to blows. Maybe we should have like been operating giant critics, uh, <laughs> like roaming the land and smashing into each other. And then I would have said something mind-dumbingly dull uh, when I got out of my thing. Because that's the problem with it. I still. I, I desperately wanted to love the film and I desperately loved half the film. I just, the rest of it is just so amateur. The worst bits for me were, were anything where they tried to instill a bit of a plot with um, yep. Ron, Ron Perlman's character and the two scientists who were used. Yeah, uh, and that's a shame because I love Ron Perlman. They were used as comic relief as well, but except they weren't funny. Yeah, I, they do get I like, better as the film goes on, though. I think. Yeah, they it's do. still it's still kind of, especially the one who's meant to be English, just kind of irritates. Guy from Torchwood. Mm. Yeah, it just kind of irritates me throughout every time he's on on screen. He's but yeah, and and Charlie Day, I like Charlie Day in um, Always Sunny in Philadelphia, uh, but yeah, they weren't they weren't given the best material to work with. And it's a show. and I love Ron Perlman, but even his bit, I was, <laughs> oh. but as soon as as soon as a giant robot started laying into a monster, I was I was there, I was in it, it was great. He's got a weird um, canon, hasn't he, Guillermo del Toro? I mean, he's got stuff mm. like you know, um, Devil's Backbone and Pan's Labyrinth, but then Hellboy Two, Pacific Rim, they're all these big fantasy action films. It's just a strange mix. Um, but I have to say, after Pan's Labyrinth, I think Pacific Rim's is best one. It's the one I've enjoyed the most, anyway. I just think, as Steve says, mm. it's just it's just robots fighting it's monsters. Just, and if you go into it expecting that, it's good. <laughs> don't, don't don't take it seriously. 
Yeah. If God, if the new Godzilla film is as good as Pacific Rim, I'll be perfectly happy. It better be better than Pacific Rim, or I'm going to be really fucking angry. <laughs> I, I, the thing is, though, I think Godzilla will actually be a serious... I think Godzilla will be quite a serious, dark film. But hopefully for the better. It's a strange one, though, Godzilla. Because, you know, the whole original point of Godzilla was... It was about, uh, uh, you know, almost an anti-nuclear film because of the, yeah. the testing that the Americans were doing in the Pacific. And how it was affecting those those Japanese sort of fishermen and, you know, destroyed the village and all that. So yeah. it was all, sort of a protest film. So now mm. in this... The, re- the remake, it's the Japanese who've caused a disaster in America. That's, you know, so... Oh, I hadn't, oh right, yeah. okay, I didn't realise that. You know, I've only seen the flashy visuals of the... Okay, so it's, that's yeah, an interesting one. I'm going to go into that one a little bit, um, not up in arms, but <laughs> a little bit scratching my head, maybe. I'm gonna yeah. see how maybe, we'll, maybe, maybe when we see the finished thing, it'll, it'll make sense, mm. I hope. Fingers crossed. Uh, Owen, what have you watched then this week? Um, I watched Annie Hall for the first time. Uh, Woody Allen's mm-hmm. film from 1977. I, I am, I'm not going to go into a full review of it. I think most people know what it's about and what it's like and why you should watch it and all that. So um, particularly if anyone's ever seen a Woody Allen film before, it's it's <laughs> typical him. It's only it's kind of archetypal one. Isn't exactly. It? Yeah. I've only seen three of his films now. I know that's almost criminal, um, but I've only seen Manhattan, which I think I preferred Manhattan. I just think that that, that was told in a much straighter script, whereas mm. Annie Hall is Woody Allen playing um, a comedian called Alvy Singer, who is essentially Woody Allen, and he breaks the fourth wall a lot. He turns the camera and um, he's, he's going out with uh, a woman called Annie Hall, unsurprisingly. He's played by Diane Keaton. Uh, falls in love with her, then they, she falls in love with him. It's a bit. They had, they sort of try to be mature about their relationship, recognise when it's not working or what they should do. And it is just, I mean, it's brilliantly written. I think the writing in it is fantastic. Woody Allen's character is very much like a, a modern. Well, I say modern. It was released, you know, over was it 40 years ago now, 30 years ago. He plays. What reminds me of Groucho Marx. In fact, yeah. the Groucho Marx quote. Is, is the theme for the whole film which is you know mm. i wouldn't want to be a member of any kind of club that would have me as a member or you know yes so you know it, it, that's the sort of the basis for the whole film <laughs> about his relationship he wouldn't go out with the woman who would go out with him kind of thing you know so it's it, yeah it's very funny um let's say i'm not gonna dwell on it too much just to say as well i think the performances are brilliant um I think Woody Allen's fantastic in it. Diane Keaton's fantastic in it. Everyone who pops up in a little bit part role. Christopher Walken's in it for a little while. And he plays it very seriously. This guy who's got um, tells Woody Allen that he sometimes thinks he's going to drive his car off the road. Sometimes he just has these deep, dark, black thoughts. And then later on, you see Woody Allen in a car with him. And it's just the look that he gives to Christopher Walken. It just makes me laugh. And I think yeah. it wouldn't have worked if Christopher Walken played it any different way. But everyone who's in there in Little Vols, um, Shelley Duvall is brilliant in it. Um, mm. You know, it's got Tony Roberts in it very briefly as well. It, it, they, they all work really well. And I think it just it shows that Woody Allen's... It, there's something about him in his films. I, I'm always intrigued to see more. Like I say, I've, I've only seen three now. Um, Blue Jasmine being the other one and um, 
it gets very good performances out of people. I've noticed mm. everyone who, who's in it. it um, Catherine, uh, what's her name? Blanchett, Kate Blanchett. Yeah. You know, yeah. she she's she she was top of my list for for our fail critics vote. She's mm. just won the award at the Golden Globes. Yeah. You know, a shoe in for the Oscar. I think it's just that. So yeah, I I think it's a two way thing as well. Simply because I think actors who are in a Woody Allen film up their game because they're in a Woody Allen film, especially because a lot of the time the lead character is essentially playing uh, a proxy version of Woody Allen. So you just imagine the pressure of Woody Allen directing you mm. playing some version of him. You're going to up because <laughs> Owen Wilson in uh, Midnight in Paris is fantastic. You know, best Owen Wilson performance I've seen for a long, long time. Um, trying to think who else. But you're right about Kate Blanchett. Even Kate Blanchett's character has kind of a Woody Allen-esque delivery to a lot of her lines and a lot of things. You know, and so yeah, it's just that kind of neurotic speaking her mind constantly. That's that's the same as like his role in in acting. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But, um, but it's quite interesting. He got the um, Lifetime Achievement Award at the Golden Globes on a Sunday night as well. It did. So. That's um, partly what prompted me to watch it, actually. Okay, yeah. yeah. I, I watched Annie Hall last year because it was in the IMDb Top 250 and I'd not seen okay. it, so I kind of uh, I watched that. Uh, I think Sleepers is the only other film of his I've seen. Um, or Sleeper, I can't remember what it's called. But anyway, I remember Eddie Izzard picked that for a, a night on Channel 4 one night, and that's a very bizarre comedy. Um, yeah. It's not a slapstick oh, no, one, is it? Didn't he do a very slapstick it's, It is very, it's very, it's a kind of like weird proto sci fi slapsticky yeah. thing. I think it's pre Annie Hall and pre uh, Manhattan, actually. Okay. Uh, so it's very, very early on in his career, and it's an outright comedy, and it's, it's a farce at times. But um, it's, well, it's good to see that he's having some kind of late career renaissance I, I liked blue jasmine i didn't love blue jasmine i thought kate blanchett was brilliant but annie hall is it's almost one of those films which has become a bit of a template for for any romantic comedy that came after it well, uh, I, I, most comedy i think i mean even well yeah actually yeah even now stuff like um louis by louis ck the sitcom directly influenced by this i think you know, yeah. the, the way the That's characters talk to each other, the way Louis sort of acts. I know he doesn't break the fourth wall in it ever, but, you know, it's kind of that, that there's a lot of Woody Allen in that. And I think yeah. it's safe to say he's probably influenced a lot of lot of yeah. comedians since, or even just the comedians that have inspired the modern comedians, you know. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And of course, Louis C.K. is also in. Um, uh... Lee Jasmine. Yes, that's right. Mm. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, it's a great film. So um like i say probably prefer manhattan just about but they're both very good um which is no surprise to anyone okay um that's all for uh what we've been watching then and up next we'll be back with our new release reviews Uh, three films then for our new release uh, reviews. First up, uh, All Is Lost, that we don't have a clip for, unfortunately, but James has been to see it. Yes, uh, All Is Lost. Uh, Robert Redford was uh, Golden Globe nominated for Best Actor, and I've stuck a cheeky three quid on him for the Oscar uh, before seeing this, but I'm I'm pleased with my little punt there. Uh, It's 
the second film from the uh, director of Margin Call, which I really enjoyed last year, J.C. Chandor. Uh, it stars Robert Redford and no one else. <laughs> it's literally, it is Robert Redford and the sea. And um, yeah, it, it, what essentially happens is the film starts and Robert Redford is a man uh, on his yacht in the middle of the Indian Ocean, wakes up and his yacht has collided with a loose floating cargo container and it's breached it's breached the hull and so he has to kind of rescue his ship water's come in damaged a lot of his equipment starts patching up his ship and then a storm happens and then he's just essentially it's an hour and 45 minutes of robert redford against the elements in a yacht and i don't know how but it kept my attention for the whole film um there's about seven apart from an opening uh kind of an opening voiceover at the beginning which is where the title all is lost comes from apart from that there's about seven words throughout the entire film because robert redford is the only person in the film and um the rest of the time he's just a man fighting against the elements um sharks storms um anything that can go wrong essentially uh going wrong to this man who has to then rely on learning how to navigate using uh the heavenly bodies because his electrical equipment is down what i will say about the film is firstly for the most part because it's a low budget film for the most part it looked pretty realistic and uh, there were a few scenes where i thought that's got to be cgi um you know they they've done that somewhere safe they haven't filmed that out on the open sea but apart from that it really really takes you inside and the great thing is as well it doesn't spoon feed you anything because he can't tell the 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 main character can't tell you anything so you've got to deduce what he's thinking and luckily having someone like robert redford in the the title role or the main role really really helps with that because he's got this for a start, he's got this incredibly leathery, outdoorsy face, which just fits this character perfectly anyway. Um, but he, he does, he, he acts with his eyes a lot. And that's when you see, you know, the true class of an actor is when they can tell you everything from just a look or a huff or a sigh. And, you know, that that's brilliantly done. The other thing about this film is it's quite bright it doesn't give you any kind of backstory you don't know who this man is you don't find out this man's name you see a wedding ring on his finger and that's all you know about him and thinking back to gravity last year a lot of the people who kind of uh, yeah i spoke to people who moaned that we are they crowbarred this in about uh you know sandra bullock's character's backstory and stuff like that this is this is what that film this is basically the type of film that those people were looking for you don't know anything about this man you don't know who he's left behind what he's fighting for and what he's trying to get to it's just literally you just spend an hour and 45 minutes with the man in the sea it reminds me a little bit of the gray actually did either of you two see the gray yes the liam neeson wolf puncher <laughs> film. um had a little bit of that about it as well that kind of um you know one man does he even want to survive type you know at one point um but what i will say robert redford's 
it just holds your attention. That's 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 what you get from having someone of that kind of quality. And it did make me realise I've not actually seen Robert Redford in too much, um, which is a bit of a shame because he's he is kind of essentially Hollywood royalty. Um, started the uh, Sundance Film Festival, and I, I realised I know him more as Robert Redford, the the Sundance director, than I do. Robert Redford, the actor, and so I need to do something about that. I've obviously I've seen uh, Butch Cassidy in the Sundance Kid. I've seen a few of his kind of later films, but I've not seen too much of Robert Redford. I, I don't know about either of you two. Not a lot. Couple. No. 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 But no, this this is a it's a cracking performance, um, and also a really good soundtrack as well, which did win the Golden Globe for best score. It's uh, I can't remember the guy who who did it but he's from edward sharp and the magnetic zeros um who did a song called home which got played everywhere last year really nice song uh so great great soundtrack lovely cinematography at times there's some really really good shooting and i really liked margin call which is um chandel's first film so i'm very very much looking forward to his next film yeah all is lost i'd I'd really really recommend it i've seen some great films already i love january time because all the awards films come out and you you tend to see quite a few good films in a row and this is just another one that if if you get the time please go and see it because it's it's been on limited release and i think it's just opened a little bit wider because it's the first time it's come into a cinema near me okay uh owen went to see uh the railway man and we have a clip of that that was a clip of the railway man and owen why don't you tell us who's in it what it's about and was it any good okay yeah um so it stars colin firth as a guy called eric lomax and it's set in the 80s also flashes back to the 40s because it's about his time where he was a soldier british soldier who was captured by the japanese and uh, tortured it's a very profound effect on his life, as I'm sure it would anyone who was tortured. Um, and he starts, he meets a woman, it's Nicole Kidman, uh, who becomes his wife. And it starts to interfere with their relationship. He has flashbacks, um, you know, his nightmares. It sort of over, overtakes his life, the, this, this post-traumatic stress that he's suffering from. Um is it worth watching? Yes, it's very good. Um, is it? Uh, it yeah, OK, it is very good. It's one of those films, though, that I think it, it was bound to be quite good because of the level of performance. So you've got Colin mm. Firth, who's quite good. I, I quite like Colin Firth. I think he's a very good actor. Um, he's been quite good in a few things. I know The King's Speech. Um, it's, I don't think it's a, a fantastic film, but it was good enough 
better because of Colin Firth, who was in it. Uh, I think he's absolutely brilliant in a single man. I think that's by far mm. and away his best best performance. Um, but also Nicole Kidman was very good in it. Um, Hiroyuki Sanada, who most people um, who watched The Ring, the original Japanese Ring, will know him mm. from that. But he's been in things like oh, okay. Lost and he was in uh, 47 Ronin. And he was in The Wolverine last year as well. Um, and it also has Jeremy Irvine in it, who I've only seen in Warhorse, and I wasn't particularly impressed with him in Warhorse. But he basically plays the young Eric Lomax in this, mm-hmm. who's um, obviously being held by the Japanese. Uh, and he was really good. I, it seems like he's just doing an impression of Colin Firth to start with, um, a very good impression. But then as you go on, you see, well, he's doing more than just that. He he has had got to act in this role, and he does it very well. Um, Stellan Skarsgård is in it who um, plays a guy called Finley who is Colin Firth's mate who was a fellow soldier and was also captured but then you've got Sam Reed who's an actor I don't really know from anything but he was playing the young Finley and he was very good as well and I can't help but think if the, the performances weren't good the story is quite uh, it's quite an important message that I think it tries to put across which is about forgiveness really as much as it is about um, anything else and you don't you don't really have any choice but to go along with it because of the way that it's written so if you if you find early on in the film that you're not quite enjoying it um i don't think it's going to change at any point during the, the the process of the story um but if you do get on board with it quite quickly as i did then you it, it, it all fits together quite nicely it's a well told story it's a nice pace to it i quite like how it jumps backwards and forwards in time um and it's quite good. I mean, it, it is fairly good. But like I say, it's not going to be from everyone. I went to see it at 20 past, uh, 20 to 6 this evening, um, sort of raced to the cinema from, from leaving work. And I was by far and away the youngest person in the cinema. A lot of the, the jokes in the film, there's, there's not much humour, but the jokes that are in it are kind of aimed at a sort of older audience, I think it's fair to say. But it's People like me then. <laughs> yeah you know people who are sort of approaching retirement people like james that sort of thing yeah but but the um it the, the, the what makes it a bit more compelling i think is it the fact it's based on a true story um it's ba- this this guy who um colin firth plays this this eric lomax he was a real man the things that happened to him are all real all things based on actual events i thought you meant he's a real man <laughs> oh yeah he's a real man he's a proper man he's hard ass no he's um yeah. uh, he was a real person so that gives yeah. it a bit of a bit more gravitas i think to some of the events that that happen um because torture i don't i don't want to sound like dickhead when i say this but it's used quite a lot in films at the minute to be more serious particularly some of the torture there's a there's a room that he gets taken to colin first character gets taken to when he's being tortured and you don't find out till fairly late on what happened in that room but if you've seen if you know anything about torturing films and what a taboo subject is you already know what's going to happen in that room mm. i think and i'm not going to say it in case there are people who you know are waiting to, to see the film and they don't want me to say because that would just mm. that would that would also make me a dickhead but just yeah. just that i think if you've got any idea about torturing films you know what's gonna be in it i think okay and it just took the edge off a little bit mm. so i just felt like it, it's been used it's been done 
quite recently and much more effectively. I don't want to take anything away from what happened to this guy, mm. but I think as a sort of as a film, it's it's not got a, that bite to it, which. Well, I say that. I mean, there was, there was a guy sitting next to me who it was quite obviously of retirement age, and he winced and he oofed and he was oh at every moment where anything was happening, people getting beaten and he was oof Jesus jumping out of his sheet, seat every time it happened. Um, so you know, what do I know really? Uh, <laughs> but you know, I, I for me, it was more about the message that the film had and about this this true story and it. Towards the end, it was quite moving. It was quite touching. Um, but yeah, that's mainly because I think the the, the, the actors in it were very good and they were portraying everything mm. very well. So yeah, it's worth a watch, but it's not it's not going to win any awards. I don't think it's not even been nominated for any BAFTAs or anything, has it? So no, yeah, it's got a kind of odd release. You, you would have expected if they were seriously after, if they thought they'd had a chance of awards, it would probably would have been out a touch earlier so mm. but you know like i say maybe if it was going to be nominated for, for anything it would have been the um the performances particularly first mm. i think was, i keep saying he was very good but yeah the next film that we're going to talk about it pales in, to insignificance in, in comparison to it because I'm not going to... Uh, I'll wait till Steve's introduced it, but yeah. That's a little bit of a spoiler for you there, because I... Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's coming up, and it's we got a lot my favourite film. We've got a lot of films to do, then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the final film for uh, the new releases is one that we've all seen. It is 12 Years a Slave. Here's a clip. All I know, we get we were travelling. Survival's not about certain death. It's about keeping your head down. Days ago, I was with my family. In my home. Now you tell me all is lost. Tell no one who I am. That's the way to survive. Well, I don't want to survive. This 12 Years a Slave it stars uh, Chiwetel Elagifor as the. Um... <laughs> There's no L in it, Steve. <laughs> there is now. <laughs> He's just going to have to live with it. A poor bastard. Didn't get a Golden Globe and now you've stuck an L live, in his name. Live through, live through slavery for 12 years. He can live with an L in his name. So, uh, <laughs> yes, he plays Solomon Northup, who is um, uh, uh, in. When was it? So 18, 1880s or 1860s? I forget now. 1850s. 1850s. Yeah. Uh, North America. He is born in a free state as a free black man who is then kidnapped and sold into slavery in the South. Um, and it is, well, it's, it's, it's a it's a short year already, but it's the best film that I've seen this year and it will probably remain that way Um for a long time but if not the whole year but i wouldn't say it's a film that you really enjoy watching is it it's not one that you're going to be in a in a hurry to watch again it's quite harrowing 
parts of it although I, I i kind of want to watch it again already yeah, i'll be honest i feel the same way i really just i loved this film i thought it was incredible well, it um, is fantastic it, it'll deserve any award that it gets but i just don't think it's a difficult it. watch I it's, don't, yeah i'm gonna sit for it again right now having seen it less than a week ago mm-hmm. oh yeah i see i see the point that you're making i mean it's similar yeah. to like um shame Stephen Queen's mm. other, you know, last film that he did, where yeah. it was good. I watched it and I, I, I didn't quite enjoy it, but I, you know, it was very, a very good film. I really kind of appreciated what it was yeah. doing, and you know, um, I wouldn't be in a rush to watch it again. But I did feel slightly different with Twelve Years a Slave. I think because it had such a, a huge impact on me. I thought, it, like I said, it was incredible. Everything about it, I, I just, I just loved it. The performances, the story. I do, I, I would watch this again. And I, I wouldn't. I would be fairly happy to watch it within the next week or so again if I had to because it was just incredible. It just blew me away. Yeah, it, it's it, worth saying that it is based on a true story. Um, yeah. Solomon Northup was a real person. You can't, and you can't, and actually, the writings of Solomon Northup. Yeah, it's it's not just a it's not just a story of that. It's based on his book, yeah, his own what, experience. You can, yeah. you can buy them, possibly even download them. Um, to read, you know, which will obviously give you, I expect, more information and more detail on what happened to him. So I'm sure there's only so much you can you can tell in a two and a bit hour film. Yes. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's it's a it is very very different to last year's portrayal of slavery <laughs> in uh, Django and Change. We say uh, it is interesting that we have had what feels like. Uh, a glut of movies about slavery because obviously Lincoln was about uh, the abolition as well. Mm-hmm. But one thing that Steve McQueen pointed out in press before this film was released, uh, and I'm, I'm not going to argue with him because he seems like a man who does his research. Um, there, there have been more, there have been more films about Roman slavery than there have about American slavery. Uh, and it is an area of our history that I think as humans, we don't like to delve into too deeply. Well, I and think so, he also said that, in his opinion at least, that this, this book or Solomon Northup's memoirs mm. book should be at least as important as Anne Frank's diary, mm. which, is a, yeah. which is a very valid point. Yeah. Oh, exactly. And and the thing is, what happened, because we, we know of slavery, uh, or we think we do, and we think, yeah, it was bad, you know, no one thinks it's a good. And you kind of, you, you kind of don't really think about how bad it was, and you shut it away, and you go, yeah, well, slavery is bad. And you don't think, and I think it is important sometimes just to stare at it and go, my God, how fucking bad was that? You know, mm-hmm. how absolutely horrific. How could human beings do that to their fellow human? And I do think sometimes you need to be reminded of that. And that's that's what this film does. Um and very interestingly for me, there isn't really a hero of this film. I, I it's difficult to call Solomon Northup a hero in this Brad film. Pitt. <laughs> yeah, well yeah. Um, About, yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, very few characters uh, in this film are completely good, completely heroic. And it's very interesting. Right at the beginning of the film, uh, and it was in the trailer as well, Solomon Northup says that thing uh, about he doesn't want to just survive, he wants to live. And then 
you kind of watch him as he it becomes a slave and it's a really really interesting study of the man because he it isn't a case of look here's one man and he's going to fight up against injustice it's just no you're watching the complete you're watching the life get sucked out of man over 12 years kind of thing you're it's just watching him because it, i mean i expected this wasn't based on a true story there would be some kind of bid for freedom from him some kind of escape bid or something whereas this was you know obviously actually happened to somebody but he just kind of until an opportunity comes his way he doesn't seek the opportunity out it comes by him he Mm. just kind of gets on with it and yeah tolerates it to the best of his ability and I think it's I think what's very interesting about this film is the fact and that's what makes this film brilliant for me is that he's just a human being in this situation and you start to think oh yeah actually how how would I even if if you can just get over the horror of this whole situation how would I act in that situation and there's no heroism he doesn't organize workers to rise up against plantation owners he just kind of he he becomes he he's a slave mm. uh, and he lives that life and that for me is one of the most disquieting things about this whole film is you start off and you see this man taken from his family taken from his free life and and all i i almost you you're almost meant to be more angry that he was taken from this freedom it's this idea that he was kidnapped and that, that there's this big bit at the beginning about him being kidnapped um, but soon, when you're into the film, you realise, and all of these people were kidnapped from their lives, essentially. Even the ones born into slavery have had their freedom taken away from them. And that that's when you start thinking, God, how, how yeah. horrific well, it's, this well, really the difference is. difference is a lot of the, the slaves in the film that he comes across have never known freedom. But he, he but, but, but he, my argument is, how is that? It does, doesn't make doesn't make his suffering any worse in my opinion you know that that that's how this film made me feel at the beginning i was like oh look it that's terrible being taken away from everything but then you'd think oh why am i why am i picking up on this one person actually everything you see in this film is just horrific yeah but there is a, a very personal story to it you know, oh yeah it's all about that i mean the focus is on chouette or edgy four's character yeah. because um that you know you can only base the story around him otherwise it would just be exactly, a big exactly. massive apology was, for, for slavery oh yeah yeah and it, obviously he was one of the um he, he was one of the only slaves who could read and write so that's why why we've got one of the reasons we got his story is because he was mm. that massive rarity and that he was a slave who could write down for posterity his experiences of being a slave whereas obviously most of them didn't have that ability uh, and uh, and you do get a different perspective on it at this point. and 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 I, I don't want to do the man down yeah he went through a huge but what i'm saying is you know a lot of films and some people have called this oscar bait which i find very offensive in in a way anyway i, 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 I don't I find think mcqueen would make an oscar bait exactly film. i thought it's late just because it's about it's like oh it must be oscar bait well no watch the film and actually judge it because this is really far from your main street imagine just say let's just imagine this film was made by Spielberg, and you can just see how different it would be, can't you? Mm. Yeah, and again, that's no offence, really, to Spielberg, honest. Um, but yeah, you can just see how. Whereas this film, there, there are some 
you see Steve McQueen's art house, or, yeah. well, his artistic background. There's a, a wonderful scene where uh, Northup just sets fire to to a letter, and you, and the camera just stays with it as it completely dis, you know, these these patterns of light and fire as it disappears into nothing. And there are a few like scenes, and a scene where the camera just stays on his face for about a minute. And yeah, and that yeah, it, it, these things that I, when I was watching it, part I couldn't help thinking, yeah, in a mainstream film they wouldn't have done that. That yeah, and it there are just so many beautiful scenes. Uh, the, just the, the scenes of the paddle steamer, the the paddle steamer paddles, they were almost hypnotic in a sense, and that's what I loved about this film as well. It's not just the brilliant performances. Uh, and how powerfully it's put together but actually there was there was an artist at work here as well it is a beautiful film to look at yeah i know you just mentioned as well the performances yeah if we could just focus on them just yes, for, yeah. because i don't think there was a bad performance in there no uh, michael no. fassbender uh, was just unbelievable he was scary he was scary uh, but he was there was something but, about him where you got the the idea you knew about him being um ashamed of himself not not just because of not well not even because of the way that he was treating people but because of the way he felt yeah about so exactly and he wasn't a two-dimensional bad guy he also exactly. got the sense that no, no matter how horrible he was he was still under kind of complete control of his wife mm. yeah yeah um played by sarah Potter, and that was a great performance that was great as well, as well. Because that, that's a really difficult performance to pull off. That yeah. that kind of yo know, or that she was brilliant. Um, Lupita Nyong as well as um, yes, yeah. Put on her name Patsy was Patsy, yeah. She was just phenomenal as well. Yeah, and likely to get a lot of kind of awards nominations. She was yeah, she was nominated uh, for a Golden Globe, I think. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure she'll be nominated for Best Supporting Actress mm. uh, at the Oscars as well. Um, but also, and again, just just so many brilliant characters. Paul Giamatti, mm. his his section again, and yeah, I kind of watched. Yeah, your stomach turns as you're watching him act, and you you almost watch and think, hey, God, how how difficult must that have been? Yeah, to have actually acted. That scene. Well, and, same yeah, as Paul Dano as well. Paul and Paul Dano, yeah, exactly. That song that he yeah, was, oh, yeah. you know, it, Steve McQueen took those actors to some terrifically dark places, and obviously Michael Fassbender's used to it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> having worked with him on Shame and Hunger, he's been to some dark places with Steve McQueen. Um, but those other actors, you know, there's some incredible performances and some of them are only in this because it's quite an episodic story so they're only in it for five ten minutes at the most um but those five ten minutes are just it, you don't get a let up from these powerful performances um brad pitt's performance really oh, yeah. I, I really enjoyed brad pitt's performance mm-hmm. um benedict cumberbatch as well mm-hmm. again a really difficult character to play because he's this He's this sympathetic person. He's, he's, he's nice, but, he, yeah, but he's, he's still nice, a slave owner. He's still a slave owner, that's it. Exactly. Yeah. And that, that's a really difficult contradiction to play on screen, but he gets it. Mm. Um, yeah, it, it's just, yeah, I, I, and and just at the heart of it all, um, uh, Chuetel Ejiofor. Well done. <laughs> wow, yeah. But, but wow. 
Uh, yeah, absolutely. What a performance. Yeah, he, uh, I've, I've put my bets elsewhere only because the odds on him winning are so short at the Oscars. It's not worth me putting a bet on him. He would be a very, very deserving winner. Um, well, I remember because... saying after the, um, the, the last week's podcast, when we were talking mm. about Idris Elba and Mandela, saying that's yeah. a really good performance, that's going to take yeah. some beating. And then, like, yeah. a few days later, I watched 12 Years a Slave, and it's, yeah. well, okay. He's beaten it already because yeah. he's just fantastic, isn't he? Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't know what else to say about the f- it's a It's a difficult film, well, in a way, to, to criticise. Well, I was uh, going to say, well, just touching on a point that you brought up about the episodic structure, maybe hmm. that's something we should talk about as one of the popular criticisms, in that people yeah. have said that time, the passage of time they've not really got in this they've not really got the sense that time well, no, moved on because he doesn't he doesn't appear to age no one seems to age throughout the film very much except when you know towards the end of the film uh mm. i to say that without giving anything away yeah. for those who haven't seen it on their story um but nothing nothing you know the, the characters don't really age but then if you had if you had say sort of every now and again a date or 12 years 10 years eight mm. years then you kind of know what's coming you know, if you know, oh. if, it, if it say starts, it will say, say, whatever, June 1953 that, at the start. And then, you know, three quarters of the way through the film, it's like June 1961. Then you kind of mm. know how far away you are from the end. There's a lack <laughs> of suspense isn't building up. The kind of, you never know how far away he is mm. from, Did, from the end point. Which this is me going to be very patronising now, Steve. <laughs> Sorry, the the film's called Twelve Years a Slave, and I think once you realise he's moving from one place to the next place and he's doing something mm. else, and then this bit's happened, I don't think you're meant to assume it's all happened to him within the space of about four weeks. I think no, obviously, obviously, obviously not. But if you had if you had a date come up on the on screen every now and again, every time you know maybe he moves to he he gets sold to Benedict Cumberbatch, so mm. his character, so then a date comes up. And then he get he moves to Fassbender's character's place. Then another date comes up. Then he gets, you know, lent to the other one. Then gets sent back to Fassbender. And the dates come up all the time. Then you know how far along he, he this the story is along its journey. And then you kind of lose the kind of suspect. You know, you, you know how far along it is. So you kind of think, all right, it's going to end soon because this is <laughs> from the start. If they brought a date up, which is what some people are saying, is that they had no concept of how long had passed at certain points of the film. I don't really see that as a criticism. I don't see. Also, I I think it's uh, for me the way he's done it is a comment on well, as a slave, you probably wouldn't well, really yeah. have any I clues mean... to how long. Yeah, so no, no I, I I got the passage of Same. time anyway. I did as well. Um, yeah, there there was bit there there was it wasn't spoon fed to you mm. like you say, Steve. Some people saying they want a date on screen are the same people who want match day to put the the time of the match in the corner, and I hate that. I'd hate that idea. Um, that's another tangent. But um, oh, yeah, when uh when for example at one point a harvest <laughs> fails, and so the slaves go off somewhere else. You go, right, okay, well, that's a harvest fair. Right, okay, so we've probably got another year on. You know, and there, there were enough clues in mm. there to, for me to go, right, okay, that's a bit further on there. And people's relationships with each other chat. And so it wasn't like, oh, their relationship has changed. Because it's just like, okay, 
they're, they're not quite they're on a slightly different but level I'm now right okay so work it out i was never sat there thinking no how, how far in is he no. is he four years in is he six years in is he yeah, exactly two, I, I just never really I was, looked, you thought about it i was too wrapped up in mm-hmm. it to be honest to be trying to work and so anyone who's got that criticism i think has well, their mind must. Yeah, they're nitpicking. I think their mind must have wandered a little bit as well during it because I didn't have time to start wondering. Oh well, how far into his twelve years is this now? Maybe that was the pro- Maybe the problems in the title. You know, <laughs> if it, were, it do you know, if people weren't fixated on the twelve year, I bet they wouldn't have cared about the passage of time. That's the thing. Mm. People are going. Right, well, I want to know exactly when this twelve years is running out. Um, one other point I think we should mention as well, almost as a kind of warning for people who are going. Um, I think everyone should see this film. It's a very important film, but some of the kind of the violence in the film is unflinching. And as again, as you kind of would expect from Steve McQueen. And I'll be honest, at times I was watching it again, but it just brought me out the film a couple of times just thinking, God, how are they actually even acting this? This, yeah, that 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 to me, and it's not a criticism of the film. It's a, it's the way I was watching the film. Yeah, a couple of times, like I say, with Paul Giamatti's bit, I was going, uh, I just slipped out of the film slightly and thought, how has he even done this? Because like he, he's he's so realistic that I was trying to work out, God, how would you, how could you do that as an actor? Um, and it it was the same with some of the violence and some of the the beatings. Um, and the camera really lingers on so it 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 isn't afraid to show you just the ugliest side of human nature possible mm. it's very powerful um it, every I mean, talking about the violence as well as just the actual emotion to it i know that's mm. another criticism actually that some people have said it's quite emotionally cold i didn't feel that at all i was definitely sort of invested in what was happening to these people um but the also, I mean, the other side of that as well, it was really affecting people in the cinema around me. I could probably right. hear like audible sobs from people. You know, there was a woman mm. who was sitting just in the row in front and a bit further down who was probably wailing, you know, shoulders going, oh. short, sharp intakes of breath, that kind of thing. I mean, it, it was a very moving film. Mm. Shall I shock you here? Yeah. I wasn't actually close to tears. It's yeah. utterly brilliant film and I loved it, but I wasn't close to tears in this. And I think it's because there, I wasn't having my heartstrings being manipulated. You know? Yeah. Because some filmmakers can do, they could have easily made me, Steve McQueen could have made me cry <laughs> if that's what he'd wanted to do. I don't think he wanted people to cry. At this. Some people will have, because it, it is very upsetting uh it is also very emotionally involving but actually i watched it with a, a sense of anger uh it was it was more a sense of anger than upset um and so and so i can i can kind of see where the accusations of it being emotionally distant i don't think cold's the right word but a bit emotionally distant but at the same time i i was emotionally moved by it uh, but I was also made angry and it it did keep me at arm's length a little bit. But I think probably for my own good. Yeah, uh, uh, because, uh, yeah, if I'd been 
emotionally wrapped up in this film as well as seeing all the violence and getting as angry as I was. I'm not sure I would have made it home without crashing the car. Well, do, do you know what it reminded me of? Um, which is going to be a, sound like a very strange mm. comparison. And I know that it could be taken as quite offensive, so please do not take it that way. <laughs> but it reminded me of Blackfish just because of the way that, mm. you know, the animals were treated in that. I got very angry. I was really yeah. properly... Yeah fuming about that what was happening to them in the same way that in 12 years a slave it really makes you feel properly like he's like he was like angry about what's happening yeah. you're really upset and this part of it is shamefulness as well that yeah. people could do that to each other um and that's that's how i think it made me feel i don't think i, I found it emotionally cold or distant mm. because i I was the, I was watching it and I was in it. I was I felt like that you know it dragged me in. I've been stuck it in and then that's where I was staying. It was it, it properly got to me. I was um and I, the one other criticism that I do want to just completely bat away because it's it, this made me angry as well. So, uh, people saying well you know it's a long time ago. Uh, yeah get I, I've heard some people kind of say get over it. You know, I'll you know chip on his shoulder. Yeah, I can't believe a that people think like that. Um, but kind of going, oh, why does it need to be so graphic? Why do we need to be reminded of this? Um, and, and you know, knowing full well that we've still got modern day slavery. Right? That that's the thing that mm. that that's what I said right at the beginning. Sometimes you need to look at this and remind yourself of how horrific slavery can be, and go, oh, actually no, this this isn't something that just happened 150 years ago. This is still happening today. But, yeah, we're not. It's worth it also taking into mind that slavery today is very much illegal and very much, you know, not, you know, mainstream. This was a, a big country and it was all legal and above board to own people as property. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. There's legal and above board, but well, it was still illegal in part of the states, but but actually. In parts of Western Europe, there is still slavery. It's just people turn a blind eye to it and things like yeah. Well, particularly in places as well, you know, what goes on in Abu Dhabi and the Emirates, and you know, particularly places like um, even China, you know, which we think of as quite a progressive country now, it still has yeah. It does not. It doesn't doesn't recognise most human rights laws and yeah. And that's not just. That's not even to, you know, think about the trafficking of children throughout well, yeah. uh, throughout Europe, uh, <laughs> sexual exploitation of people, you know, things like that. And actually, do you know what? It is this story is an historical story. Its messages are just as relevant today as they always have been. Um, and I think that's why it's a really important film. And that's why it should make people angry. But uh, it's not just an issue film. It's a wonderfully, wonderfully shot film. It looks beautiful. It's got some incredible performances. It's difficult to find fault with any single part of it, in my opinion. Hmm. Do you, um, I do have one very small fault with it. Is, oh, is it the music? No, I love the music. Okay. I the music oh, okay. I thought the music was all right, but. Okay. Uh, well, yeah, that actually, no, that is a good point because I know some people have said because it does it use some clips from Inception. Oh, it's it's Hans yeah. Zimmer. So I don't know if it uses it. It might use similar motifs. And maybe he's just getting a little bit creatively stunted. Mm. He's done so many great soundtracks that maybe he started reusing bits of his old work. <laughs> it was well, the U2 uh, song that threw me. But <laughs> <laughs> um, 
but no, I, I quite like the music and I thought it worked okay. really well. Um, I was just going to say that some some scenes for me, they kind of lingered perhaps a little longer than I thought necessary. Was it? And again, I've, I think I used this with Amor, and it, again, it might be offensive. I'm sorry. Uh, the, the Stuart Lee syndrome. Um, yes. Because there was there was a scene in Amor with the pigeon. Mm. Just went on, yeah. Went on and went on, and then I went, All right, I get it now. Um, yeah, and there there were a few scenes, no, you're right, there were a few scenes like that, and actually, a few of the more violent scenes were like that, but there were a few other scenes that were like that as well. No, I I, I think I get that, but that's McQueen's that, that's kind of his one of his mm. trademarks, isn't it? The long, the, the shot that kind of outstays its welcome almost, yeah. Um, but the, I mean, it works quite effectively to a point because you're watching it and think, yeah, I get it, I understand. And then it goes on a bit longer. Um, I'm thinking particularly um, a hanging scene. I'm not gonna, yes, you know. no, I thought, but I thought the longer that went on, actually, long, as yeah. you see more people completely ignoring what's happening. Yeah. And that plays into the context of what has happened in that character's, what has happened right. in that character's life previously that you kind of get it well then. yeah then, then uh, i do get then i think okay no yeah. i didn't get it before no i definitely do get it this is absolutely horrendous but then it just carries on <laughs> it goes just on, a bit yeah. longer than i think well we definitely have got it now let's move on on to the next scene but yeah it, on. Which, we have any listener feedback for this um the the listener feedback i got only one person who fed back had actually seen it um okay. uh, someone said they hadn't uh, but um Surprised that 12 years only got one Golden Globe given the hype before it. Like I said, it was a weird Golden Globe. I think it will do better at the Oscars, and I think it will definitely pick up Best Film, and I think it will pick up Best Actor as well. Uh, but uh, at Shorky1969 gave it five out of five, and I know he's a man who likes to give three and a half out of five. So uh, <laughs> that's that's big praise, and he'll like that I've mentioned that on the podcast. Uh, he said he thought it was outstanding. Cast is superb. Direction is spot on. And a beautiful score. Uh, so he, he enjoyed it as well. And I forgot to mention, he also said that he really enjoyed um, uh, All Is Lost. Going back to that, he, he gave that four out of five as well. So, um, yeah, uh, that's that's all we got. But do you know what? It, it's just, I, I want more people to see it. It's out on general release now. And interestingly, Cinema was absolutely packed for it when I went to see it. I don't know about you, Owen. You went to a preview. Well, I went to the preview, so yeah, it was, it was they're, pretty full. They're usually busy anyway. Yeah. But I was. it was a Sunday night, and usually when we're on a Sunday night, the cinema's pretty dead. And I got in there as the trailers started, and I had to, I had to sit kind of like quite near the front. <laughs> um, I was really... It was packed. And it's that's awards season for you, isn't it? Because... Yeah a Steve McQueen film about slavery isn't the type of thing to get the, the multiplexes getting packed, but it's, it's doing its job. Uh, and rightfully so. And I'm, and I was really pleased to see so many people there to see that rather than, I don't know, the Harry Hill film or something like that. You know? it's just, yeah, they're, Which they're I am little... still quite curious about. I will see yeah, that eventually. Yeah. Yeah. When it gets onto Netflix. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, obviously people are connecting with it as well. Uh, no, I did, just if if you if you in two minds, just don't be a dick. Just go see it. Mm. <laughs> and next week's new release is uh, the Wolf of Wall Street, among yes. any others that we can find for ourselves. 
Yeah, no, very excited about that. Very, very excited. That's that's the last of the big ones of the awards season. A, a three-hour Scorsese comedy. Wow. Although her isn't out yet, is it? Her's not out until uh, Valentine's. Yeah. Liz, Liz Dallas oh, yeah, yeah. Club not out yet. Dallas Buyers Club is also beginning of February as well. Uh, anyway, uh, we'll have one more quick break and then we'll do some quick recommendations for you before we leave you alone. Okay, so some recommendations, starting off with myself. What's on TV this week? If we go to Monday night, if you want to get over uh, your weekend in style, put on film four at 10 to 7 because Flash Gordon is on. Followed by, hey, followed by Gordon's Cat. alive! He is, he's on film four. <laughs> yes. And that's followed straight away on the same channel by Kickass at nine, so uh, yes. And give Brooklyn Nine-Nine a go on Thursday on E4, because it seems to be getting some good good reviews and awards, so uh, I'm going to give it a punt, and you should, probably should as well. Okay. Uh, James? Uh, I've got Netflix recommendations this week. Um, first, I, I've literally just found out today that Archer Season 4 is on uh, Swedish Netflix. So anyone who, like me, has been waiting for Season 4 of Archer to turn up on Netflix, uh, go get Swedish Netflix. Um, but the film I want to recommend, uh, there's two actually, very quickly. They've just both come on to uh, Netflix UK, recently released on Netflix UK. First one is The Muppets Movie is finally on Netflix. So if you haven't had a chance to watch The Muppets Movie, what the hell is wrong with you? Sequels out in March. Um, go and watch the uh, the the James uh, Jason Segel, Amy Adams starring one from two years ago. Brilliant film, love it. The other one I want to recommend is one of my favourite documentaries of last year, which was Beware of Mr Baker, which I also spoke about on here with my fellow cream aficionado, Jerry McCauley. Uh, that uh, rock documentary about the the maddest drummer left alive in rock music, Ginger Baker, uh, the one who didn't basically kill himself. Um, brilliant documentary about an utter, utter bastard basically but what a genius beware of mr baker that's also on netflix uk and owen um i'm going for tv recommendations as well um on thursday there's quite a lot on actually but at 11 a.m uh the first film they're showing is le quattro volte the four times oh oh uh, yeah i've still not seen that i've recorded it last time then never watched it so i need to watch it now yeah but completely silent uh, well, not completely silent. There is sound in it, but it's it's all natural. It's got goats in it, hasn't it? It's, it's got mad yeah, goats in it. Yeah, it's got mad goats. It's got a brilliant scene with the dog. Um, uh, just go back and listen to my review from one of the podcasts released last. Was it last year or 2012 even? So if you search awesome. the site, it'll be up there. Yeah. Um, but also on the same day, there's quite a lot of Scorsese films that, are, that they're showing on Film Four that week. Um, yeah, did I mention the Quattro Voltos on Film 4? I don't know. It's 11am on Film yeah, 4. 11 a. Um, yeah, 11am. But at 1.55am, so Thursday evening to Friday morning, King of Comedy, the King of Comedy song, <gasps> yeah. which is my favourite Scorsese film. So watch that. Brilliant. Just absolutely brilliant. And I think possibly Robert De Niro's best performance. Ooh, hipster. Hipster choice. It is a bit of a hipster choice, I'm aware of that. But I think he's just fantastic in it, and it's just yeah, such a great, brilliant yeah. film. Okay, uh, that's all for this week's Failed Critics. Um, you can find the website and the social media pages in the usual places. I'd like to thank everyone for listening and for everyone for contributing. We'll be back next week with, with our review of The Wolf of Wall Street, among other things. Yeah.
Street is a big nominee tonight. And yes. I, I really loved the film, but some of it was too graphic. I mean, if I wanted to see Jonah Hill masturbate at a pool party, I'd go to one of Jonah Hill's pool parties. Gravity is nominated for Best Film. It's the story of how George Clooney would rather float away into space and die than spend one more minute with a woman his own age. And now, like a supermodel's vagina, let's all give a warm welcome to Leonardo DiCaprio. The failed critics are James Diamond, Steve Norman and Owen Hughes, with original music provided by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com. You can find us at failedcritics.com, at Facebook at facebook.com slash failedcritics, and on Twitter at at failedcritics. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.